We, we continue on this morning in our, uh, our series on Philippians, which we started last week. Uh, and just as a very brief recap, um, we, you can see from the title slide that we're hoping that this, this encounter with this little letter in the middle of the New Testament, um, that through our time here, God will show us what it means and how we can have deep roots of a joyful faith. So Philippians is sometimes known as the, the letter of joy. It is sometimes uh, very often quoted as um, believers' favorite book um, because of its emphasis on joy in the Lord and how we can grow in our joy in him. Uh, yet there's so much more to this book than just a simple uh, kind of bumper sticker cliches that some of the verses can be sometimes quoted as. Uh, there is deep riches here for us to enjoy, for us to be challenged by, for us to be nurtured by as God speaks to us. Uh, and today we're, we're continuing on through chapter one. Last week we just saw the first two chap- the first two verses. And in fact, we really only dealt with the first verse. Um, but this morning we're going to move through the first chapter uh, and see this great prayer that Paul has for the church. He talks a bit about his prayers and how he prays and why he prays. And then we get an insight into what he actually prays for the church. And it, and it got me thinking, I, I wonder how we pray for the church. You and I individually. I wonder how you pray for the church. I wonder how you should pray for the church. Um, Well, if you're regularly part of the church family here, I wonder what you pray for, for us, for one another, for us as we gather as a local congregation of Christians in Gilnahirk in 2022. What do you pray for? Um, Well, often as we gather corporately to pray, we pray for a, a, a many and varied list of things, for God's blessing on us as we, as we gather uh, as, as his people here, for his strength to continue to serve him, for unity together with one another, uh, for his gospel to captivate the hearts of those who don't know it yet. Um, we pray for help and guidance as we plan for services or events or groups. We pray for different needs or issues within the church family. Sometimes that's medical, sometimes that's not. Needs that we, burdens that we have, as Galatians 6 tells us, to share those burdens with one another. Um, we pray for those who are serving God around us and around our world. We pray for loads of things, and that's just a selection. The list is long, and the list is good, by the way. I'm not critiquing that list. That is a good list of things to pray for. Um, I, I wonder, though, if, if we're honest do some of us sometimes struggle to know what, what to pray for the church specifically or, or how to pray for a corporate body of people when those people, those individuals are so diverse and so different um, and with, with a bunch of different personality types and needs and all of that? How, how do we pray for one another? Well, as we know, God's word is intensely practical and helpful. Uh, And so today, as we have our second session in Philippians, we see this example of Paul, of how he prayed, of why he prayed, and what he prayed for this Philippian church. Uh, And as as, as we embark on these verses this morning, I pray that we will be encouraged, that we will be uh, equipped to pray for the church here and globally, and in doing so, that we may be equipped to pray with consistency, with connection, and with conviction. Those are at least three of the things that I think God wants us to to enjoy this morning. So let's read this passage of God's words, Philippians chapter 1, 
uh, verses 3 right through to verse 11. Um, So please do turn there if you have a copy of God's Word with you. Um, As we say regularly, if you don't have a copy of God's Word and need one, uh, please take one that's sitting around, um, a red hardback one. um, would be great to take with you. Uh, So let's read uh, Philippians 1, verses 3 right through to verse 11. And remember, Paul is writing here, as you can see, if you glance back to the introduction, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And so this is who he's praying to. Sorry, this is who he's praying about. Uh, Verse 3 then. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that, you may able, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a, what a wonderful passage of scripture. What a wonderful prayer and an explanation of prayer that God has given us here. And we see here the, the apostle's heart for this group of people, don't we? And therefore, that heart displayed through how he prays and what he prays for them. And as I mentioned, what I would love us to um, engage with this morning is how we can pray with and how we see Paul praying with consistency in verses 3 to 6, praying with connection in verse 7 and 8, and praying with conviction in verse 9 and 10 10 and 11. So let's begin then by considering Paul's consistency in his prayer. And and we see this through verses 3 to 6. Look with me again at verses 3 and 4 just for now. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Paul prays consistently. In some ways, we could just stop there. There's enough evidence in the text, isn't there? We don't have to unpack that too deeply. Every time I pray for you, all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with you. All right, Paul, we get it. You pray a lot for these people and you love them. Great. But, but, but hang on, let's, let's dive in a little bit deeper into what this actually shows us, that Paul consistently prays for this church. But, but one of the things that, I, that struck me this week is, and we'll see this again in a few moments' time, But Paul's consistent prayers for this church, they haven't become routine or or stagnant. The the, the consistency of Paul's prayers hasn't bred a dryness in his prayers for them, no. Look at the emotions that he expresses and, and experiences as he prays for the Philippian church. I thank my God every time. I always pray with joy. Thanksgiving and joy is, are the emotions that Paul experiences as he prays for this church. And that's a, that's a wonderful example for us, an encouragement to us, and, and indeed a challenge for us. You see, to pray with thanksgiving, what does that mean? Well, every time Paul remembers this church, he gives thanks to God for them. Imagine if someone said that to you. 
You know, every, every time I pray for you, Drew, I just thank God for you. <laughs> really? It, it's what an encouragement that is. And it's a great an example for us that as we come to pray, let's always pray with thanks. As we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there will be times where that thanksgiving just rolls off our tongues. Because we know the person and the people that we're praying for more deeply. And so we can instantly think of the many things that we're thankful to God for as he works in their lives. Um, but, but perhaps we don't know someone as well. And therefore the thanksgiving maybe feels a little, I don't know, less personal or, or more difficult to, to express. But... If we are praying for brothers and sisters in Christ, we always have things to thank God for in the life of that person or people. Remember, the wonderful thing about praying for a fellow believer is that we can thank God that he has saved them. Thank God that he has rescued them. Thank God that they have responded to his message of repentance and forgiveness. I thank my God every time I remember you. Because you are my brother and sister. And that is only possible because of God's work. And so I give thanks. I thank my God every time I remember you. Whether you know that person or not, we can be thankful to God for them. The the, the second emotion that we see here is Paul's joy. And that will, of course, as we've said, come through the letter as we go 13 or 14 times through these four chapters. We're told about Paul's joy or rejoicing. But here we see him praying with joy. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Again, just imagine receiving this letter from Paul. Imagine someone saying to you over coffee, do you know this week I've been praying for you and I've just been full of joy as I've done so. We'd probably look at them and think that we're strange, but this is the normal practice. Because we always pray with joy. Um, But what we're given a deeper insight to here is the reason for Paul's joy with the Philippian church You see, I always pray with joy that the sentence doesn't end there. It continues into verse 5. Because in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul prays with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. Well, what does that partnership look like? What does that mean? Why is that bringing him joy? Well, I think there's three possible options here for what that partnership could be. I think they're all valid. They're all wrapped up in that term. The first thing is that, as we saw last week, Paul was in Philippi with his friend Silas. And we read about it in Acts 16. And he is privileged to be the first person to bring the gospel to the city. And so the people respond, Lydia and the jailer, as we looked at last week, they respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he was there, Paul was there right at the beginning of this church. That's why he can say your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He was there the first day. And so that partnership in the gospel possibly means that that link that they share in the gospel coming to their city. The second thing that that partnership could could be speaking of, as we read through the whole of the letter, as I hope, uh, and I was encouraged to hear that some of you have done this week, um, as we see the whole of the letter, we see that partnership taking the form of some financial support for Paul in his ministry. Particularly in chapter 3, Paul gives thanks to the church for their financial support so that he can then bring the gospel to the whole region and indeed into Europe. And so they generously supported Paul. There, there's, a, there's a connection with Paul there and a desire to provide for him as he is involved in kind of the cool face of gospel ministry. Is that what the partnership could be? Yeah, I think that's part of it. 
So partnership could be speaking of the, the, the Christians in Philippi first responding to the gospel, then supporting Paul in his gospel ministry. But you see, I, I think there's, there's something more to it as well. And this third option, because we can't ignore the joy that Paul has as we see throughout the letter when Paul hears of people sharing the gospel and folks responding to the gospel, that brings him joy. So surely part of his joy in the partnership with this church in the gospel is when he has heard of their faithful witness to Jesus Christ. We'll see this more next week, but even just glance down at verse 18 to, to glimpse Paul's joy. And if we condense verse 18 a little bit. Uh, the important thing is that in every way, Paul says, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul loves hearing that Christ has been preached. And so surely part of the partnership that he's talking about of the gospel of this church, which has brought him joy in his prayer, is that he knows of their faithful witness, sharing Jesus with their community. And so Paul is praying with thanks. He's praying with joy, and that's based on the partnership in the gospel. As these folks have responded to, in faith, as they supported Paul in ministry, as they indeed have been active in sharing Jesus with the community that they're in. And as we'll repeat regularly at each of these three stages that we'll look at today, there's an example here for us to follow. There's an encouragement for us to listen to and a challenge for us to take on board. See, the example here from these first set of verses is that here's an example of how we can pray for our brothers and sisters. We can be thankful, we can be joyful, because we can know God's great work in and through them. So the example to follow is to pray with thanks and to pray with joy. The encouragement here, or one possible encouragement, is to live such a faithfully obedient life that we cause thanks and joy in the people who pray for us. That as people look at our lives and pray for us, they are drawn to thank God for, his, for our faithful witness to him. Thank God for his work in our lives. And that brings joy to them as they pray, as they see our partnership in the gospel with them. And that partnership, to think of that, there's also an encouragement there to be prayerfully and financially supporting those who are in gospel work around the world. An example, an encouragement, and a challenge. A challenge then to live as partners in this gospel mission. In other words, to be, to be active, to be actively sharing and showing our faith to the world around us. Not just to be merely spectators of those who seem to be better at it than us, more natural in sharing their faith, more bold than we are. No, well, none of us, I think, as, as followers of Jesus are called to stand on the sidelines and merely cheer them on. We are to do absolutely that, but we are to get involved in God's mission with the way that he has equipped us in the place that he has put us. And so the challenge here is to be a partner in the gospel. Now, I realize that all that may sound very good in theory. Yet some of us are already thinking, that, that sounds like a bar too high for me. That, that sounds like a life and a level of faith that I just can't attain in my own strength. Yes, absolutely so. We cannot attain that level of life and faith in our own strength. That's why Paul goes on in verse 6 to say where his confidence is based. 
for his reality, his understanding of how these folks can be faithfully living out their lives of discipleship. And where does he put that confidence? Being confident of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, Paul recognizes that it is the same God who has saved the Philippian church. That same God is continuing to work in them. That same God is not finished with them yet. And we talked about this a little last week, but this is such an encouragement for all of us who follow Jesus that we're not finished yet. God has not finished with us yet. Thank goodness, thank God that he has not finished with us yet. It gives us the assurance that we're not left on our own to struggle our way through uh, the, the sin that so easily entangles. No, God is with us. He hasn't finished with us yet. We're not, we're not in glory yet. We haven't reached the level of perfection that we are destined for yet. And so our good and gracious Father is with us. He is present. And so as he continues to work in us, then we can know that he is actively doing so. And he won't stop until we reach our heavenly home. So be encouraged. If you know that you regularly make a mess of things, welcome to the club. You're not the finished article yet. God is still at work in your life. And so if you're able to hear this this morning, then you're not in glory yet. I hope that doesn't surprise you. You're not in glory yet. And therefore, God is still carrying on that work in you. So, so let him. Let go of the things that you're still holding on to that he wants to take control of. Submit to him. Allow his word to shape you. Allow his spirit to bubble up within you, transforming you more and more and more into the likeness of Christ. See, don't ignore the promptings of God as he's seeking to lead you into godliness. But equally, don't try to orchestrate something on your own. Don't try to pretend to, to live in a way that you think you should live. No, follow Christ and let Christ lead you and guide you. It is God who works in you. And God began that good work and will carry it on until completion. That was Paul's confidence and that can be ours. God, you saved me. I know I still make a mess of things. Thank you that you're not finished. So I trust you to keep your work going in my life. So Paul here consistently prays for the Philippians and he does so with thanksgiving, he does so with joy, he does so recognizing that God is still at work in their lives, transforming them more and more into the likeness of Jesus, this Jesus who saved them, this Jesus who, to whom they actively and willfully want to point others to through their faithful witness. So Paul consistently prays. The second and third points will be a little bit quicker. Let's think of Paul's connection. How he prays with connection, verse 7 and 8, we're going to see this. And we mentioned this last week, but this letter is, is infused with Paul's love and affection for the believers of Philippi. This isn't a, Paul does write letters to churches he hasn't physically met with yet, but this is not one of those. This is a letter to people who he deeply loves and knows. Uh, and we read about it here in these two verses. And, and having spoken about this thanksgiving and joy that he prays for these people, let's then figure out why he's able to say that. Let me read verse 7, and, and I'm going to read the ESV rendering of this verse. Um, it is right for me, Paul says, thinking about thanksgiving and joy, it is right for me to feel this way about you. 
about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. See, Paul holds these people in his heart because they are partakers with me of grace. The NIV says, they share in God's grace with me. See, I hold you in my heart for, because you are partakers with me of grace. Uh, see, this is, this is the deep, this is the basis of the deep affection that Paul has for these people, that God's grace has bound them together. And maybe this is another idea that we know to be true, yet maybe don't recognize or live out the fullness of, that grace binds us together as Christian believers, that we are family. We've used that word a lot today, but I wonder, does it actually take root in how we interact with one another? We are family. We are united. We are bonded together under the grace of Jesus Christ. And that bond, as we, as we mentioned last week, is it's a stronger bond than, than a shared interest. It's stronger bond than a, than a passing acquaintance. This bond that we have because of the grace of Jesus Christ is a deep, eternal fellowship that penetrates through any man-made barrier that we put up between one another. It transcends any kind of boundary like economic status or, or ethnic background or geographical location or age. It, it, it transcends all of that. God's grace is better and deeper than that. And we see this, Paul explaining this as, he, as he's confronting the Ephesian church. And trying to show them how the, the group of Jews and Gentiles in that church are indeed united together. Even though historically and socially and even of religious background they are very different. But in Christ they are one. Let me read that. Um, little, it's a lengthy passage from Ephesians 2. Um, and it will appear on the screen if, if you need to. But starting at verse 14. This is Paul explaining the unity that they share. For he, Jesus, himself is our peace who has made the two groups, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, he has made those two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came, that's Jesus, came to preach and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, the, the unity that Christ brings is lasting. It is a spiritual unity. And therefore, when Paul comes to pray for the folks in Philippi, he remembers this deep connection that they share as he prays. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. They're deeply connected. And notice just briefly that the, the repetition of the term all again. Three times in two verses, all, you, all, Paul uses that term. 
He, he doesn't just have that deep affection for the folks in Philippi who he did meet personally. He doesn't just have that affection for the overseers and deacons who he references at the start. No, all of you. This is the whole church Paul is writing to, and he can rightfully and truthfully say that he prays for all of them. He holds all of them deep in their heart because they all share in God's grace with him. And and so once again, here we have an example, an encouragement, and a challenge. The example is to pray with this level of affection for one another. To pray for our brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters. Not, not like distant cousins who you, you see, you know, at family weddings. No, brothers and sisters. Let's pray with that level of affection and love for one another. And the encouragement here uh, simply to relish in the unity that we do share. The bond that draws us together, God's grace that unites us. And then therefore produces this genuine and loving fellowship with one another. And and the challenge then is to do all that we can to foster and nurture those relationships with one another. To, To open our hearts to pray regularly for everyone here. Maybe even those you don't even know. You might know their name. You might recognize a face. But we can pray with joy and with thanksgiving in love for one another. Maybe you want to get a copy of the members list and just pray your way through it. If you are on Church Suite, you can do that by, this is another advert, you can do that by uh, looking through the address book and just see everybody's name and pray regularly for one another. Paul gives us an insight into his prayer here for the Philippian church. We see his consistency as he prays and we see his connection as he prays. And finally, we're going to see the actual content then of what he prays what I've called his conviction, his praying with conviction. You see, right back at the beginning of our time together, I, I asked, what, did, what is it, what is it that, that we pray for as a church? And up to now, we've seen and we've spoken a lot about how Paul prays. He prays consistently. We've talked about why he prays because of that deep connection that they have. But now in verse 9 begins what he prays. And as we read through these verses again, let's look at that framework again of an example, an encouragement, and a challenge. As we read this prayer of Paul's and see what God might be saying to us as to how we pray for each other in that. So let's read verses 9 to 11 together again. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's a lot packed in here, and it's all kind of interconnected. And so I just want to walk quite slowly through it. And we're actually going to walk backwards through it. Because I think as we do that, we see the ultimate goal of Paul's prayer. He prays for lots of different things, but what is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal, I think, stands at the end. To the glory and praise of God. Paul's underlying desire for his whole life, but even for his prayer now for the Philippian church, is that God would receive glory and praise for who he is and what he's done among them. Paul's ultimate prayer is that the Philipp- for the Philippian believers is that God receives the glory and praise. But, but how does that happen? What, what builds to that point? Well, if we work backwards through the prayer, I think we see that. You see, Paul prays that God may be glorified and that glorifying and praising of God comes about as his people demonstrate the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 
In other words, as people live in a manner worthy of the gospel, as they live in, a, in the way and the teaching of Jesus, as their lives demonstrate the righteousness of Christ. So as they live faithful, obedient, as faithful and obedient disciples of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, then God will receive the glory and the praise. But, but, but how do believers live that way? How do we live that way? How do we follow Jesus to that extent, living the, with the fruit of righteousness? Well, we do that by being able to discern what is best, and therefore we may know what is pure, and we may be pure and right and blameless for the day of Christ. We may be able to discern what is best. So if we're going to discern what is best, which will lead to a life of fruitful righteousness, therefore glorifying and praising God, how do we do that? How do we discern what is best? Well, I think we go backwards another step, that we grow in knowledge and depth of insight. Meaning that we use our minds to meaningfully engage in God's truth, his word so that we can understand his ways. As we understand his ways, we're able to discern what is best. We're able to live the life of fruitful righteousness, which will bring praise and glory to God. But what I love here is that the knowledge and depth of insight does not lead to some kind of dry academic intellectual faith. It is born out of love. Did you notice that? May your love, that I pray that your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. Emotions and intellect are not disconnected. Your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Well, some people ask, is that love for God or love for others? It's both and, yes. Because the two are so intimately connected. As their love for God grows, so your love for others pours out. When, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He replies in Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, loving God overflows into loving others. God is love. We know what love is because he sent his son. Love is active. And the love of love for God will flow into a love for others. So Paul prays that your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. Because the more you grow in your knowledge of God, the more your love for him will grow. And therefore your love for others will grow. This might sound familiar to those who were here this time last year for our Heads, Hearts, Hands series. That whole series where we recognize that, that, that understanding God's truth impacts our hearts. Because we see his greatness and his goodness as we gaze more at God, our heart sings, as one author writes. And therefore that demonstrates itself in a life that is loving to others. And so what is Paul's prayer? That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's a lot of words and a lot of deep stuff, so walk through it slowly. I pray that your love may abound, your love for God and your love for people would overflow. In knowledge and depth of insight, may you grow in your knowledge and understanding of God. And how do we do that? Through his word, by his spirit.
so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless. In other words, may your life demonstrate the wonder and grace of God. May you follow his ways, live in his truth to the glory and praise of God. May God indeed receive the glory and praise that he is only due because it is only because of him that we can live for him. What a, what a prayer this is. Uh, what great conviction Paul shows here in praying for the Philippian Christians. Conviction that is grounded in connection and it's demonstrated in consistency. He prays with consistency. He prays with connection. He prays with conviction. Now, some people might look at this and think, goodness, the, the Philippian church, I'm sure we're going through some stuff. This feels very generic. This feels a bit, a bit high level. What about those going through marital issues? What about those dealing with health concerns? What about those dealing with issues and stresses and strains and, 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 and lots of just life? Well, this isn't saying that those things are unimportant. But what Paul's prayer is and what God is showing us here is that God's desire is for our hearts. Our love may abound more and more so that in those times of difficulty, we continue to pray for them. Yes, of course, absolutely. But we do so convinced of the love of God, seeking to live the love of God and display that for others so that when those moments of hardship and difficulty come, love is squeezed out. Love for God and love for others. So I wonder, I wonder what, what you're going to pray for this church this week. I would love us to take seriously the example here, the encouragement here, the challenge here to pray this prayer for us, for one another. I wonder, could we try to commit to doing exactly that? Every morning, every evening, every lunchtime, I don't know, find some way where this becomes a marker for you this week to pray these exact words for one another. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I don't know how that's going to look. I was trying to think of some creative ways to do it, to set an alarm on your phone for 109 every day, because it's chapter 1, verse 9, I don't know. Um, whatever it is to do that, if it's helpful, I've, I've printed the prayer on these cards. Uh, so please take one. Stick it somewhere where you know you're going to engage with it every day uh, and pray this prayer for one another. If this is your home church, wonderful. If this, pray broadly for the church capital C, Christ's church all over the world, wonderful. But let's pray this prayer and let's learn to grow in our prayer life for one another where we can pray with consistency, with connection, with conviction. Let's do that now. Let's pray to our Heavenly Father. Our Lord, thank you. Oh, we thank you that you have indeed enabled us to come to you in prayer, to come to you in relationship because of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, Father, and in saving us, you have saved us into your family. And so we thank you for one another. 
We want to be people who always thank our God when we think of one another. We want to pray with joy for, for one another and with one another because of our partnership in the gospel. And Father, we want to take seriously the call to support and pray for one another by praying that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, Father, would you be exalted? Would you be glorified and praised through the expression of your church that meets here? Would you be glorified and praised through each of us individually as you've called us to serve you in many different environments throughout our weeks? May you help us to allow our love for you to grow and, and abound as we understand more and more of who you are by investing in your word, as we, as we devote our time to you and our, and our thoughts to you. Help us, we pray. We do need your help. And we thank you, Father, that we can be confident that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And so we pray that we would indeed know and experience more of you in our lives, less of ourselves and more of you. Father, that our our hearts and our attitudes and our actions would be molded more and more into the likeness of Christ. And we pray all of these things, Father, so that we would be more faithful witnesses to you and therefore you would be glorified. Come, we pray, Father. Move mightily in us and among us, we pray. And it is for your ultimate glory and in your wonderful name. Amen.